2: All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Moran Analytics Podcast. Today is Monday, July 2nd, 2018. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Got a packed episode for you today. I'll be joined by Sports Illustrated, national football writer Jonathan Jones. I talked to Jonathan about growing up in North Carolina, staying there to go to UNC for college, covering the Carolina Panthers at the Charlotte Observer after school and eventually moving on to Sports Illustrated in the summer of 2016. I talked to him about all kinds of other stuff, including asking him what led him to pick the Buffalo Bills that finished dead last in the standings this year. It was a prediction that caused kind of an uproar in Buffalo. I don't agree with it. He gives a really good reason why. It's a good interview. Looking forward to bringing that to you. Immediately after that, I have Tone Pucks for our weekly Pat with Pucks chat. We talk about the state of the Buffalo Sabres now that the draft has passed and free agency has started. We also talk about John Tavares joining the Leafs, NBA free agency, including, of course, the big news coming down late Sunday night that LeBron James is joining the LA Lakers. We talk about that. We have some unpopular opinions, shout outs, and a whole lot more. So like I said, there's a lot going on. Not going to waste any more time at all. Let's get right down to it. Here's my extended interview with Jonathan Jones from Sports Illustrated. And right after that, Pat with Pucks. My guest today is a national football writer at Sports Illustrated. Before that, he was a beat writer for the Carolina Panthers, working in the state in which he was born and raised. He's one of the true rising young well, youngish sports scribes in the business today, I'm talking about Jonathan Jones. What's up, Jonathan? Glad to have you on the show today.
0: Hey, man. Appreciate you having me on.
2: Oh, the pleasure is definitely all mine. Let's start here. Where I know you're from the state of North Carolina. Where exactly were you born and did you grow up where you were born, too?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm originally from Shelby, North Carolina, uh, home of Bridges Barbecue and David Thompson, <laughs> uh and actually moved uh right before high school to neighboring gastonia uh north carolina where i went to high school at ashbrook high uh home of james worthy while we're keeping it uh in the nba legends category nice. uh and yeah and then i just moved you know one county over to uh mecklenburg county and now live in charlotte so shelby to gastonia uh to charlotte
2: we're a couple of uh your favorite athletes growing up as a kid? Obviously, I'm sure James Worthy was probably one of them, but who were a couple of your favorite athletes and what were a couple of your first hobbies that you could really remember liking?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it was definitely, you know, I I grew up in the Jordan years uh, with the the second Bulls three-peat. So obviously Michael Jordan, really that entire Chicago Bulls team. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., I was a huge baseball fan growing up. You know, the Braves were... Uh, our closest team, uh, and so yeah, you, you love the Braves, Chipper Jones, and Andrew Jones, but uh, I was I had a very strong affinity for uh, Griffey, uh, and then I guess when it came to football, it was Steve McNair and Eddie George. That was that was sort of my team in the uh, in the late '90s and early 2000s. So uh, if we're if we're checking off football, baseball, and basketball, it'd be all of those, and of course, you know, I watch golf and. Uh, and it was Tiger uh, every Sunday. But uh, those were certainly the the folks that I grew up watching. And then, as far as hobbies and whatnot, you know, I, I was always kind of the, the taller kid up until really getting into high school. I was always the tallest kid in my grade. And so I always I played a lot of basketball. Um, and I thought that I was really good at it until everyone else caught up to me in my height. Uh, and then I was decidedly very, very average.
2: I'm glad you said Tiger Woods because... You grew up in an era where Tiger was dominant. So for you to be a fan of golf, he has, you know, almost probably, if not everything, a lot to do with it because, you know, eras before that, man, there weren't a lot of kids that grew up a fan of golf. It's something they got older and they liked, but that Tiger Woods effect, he had kids in teenagers loving golf because of him. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's, uh, he's a huge reason that I got into it. My granddad was a big golfer and so he kind of taught me the game while I watched, uh, the game on the weekends on television. But, uh, if there was no tiger, uh, I would not have, have been interested at all in golf. Uh, I played yesterday. Uh, my friends and I take a, an, an annual guys, golf trip. Uh, we just got back from Jacksonville a few weeks ago. So, uh, from that golf trip. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's all because of Tiger, really. Because there's there's no chance that uh, that you know, growing up in Shelby, that if I'm just watching, you know, Fred Couples and and an upstart Phil Mickelson, am I going to get really jazzed about golf uh, in the late '90s?
2: Are you a decent golfer? How do you hit them?
0: Uh, I had a really good round yesterday. Uh, I was uh, four over after nine. We only played nine because because the rain was about to come in, but. That was, that's about as good as I'm going to hit him on nine. So it's, it's great that you caught me a day after I hit, uh, you know, one of, one of my best rounds. I'm, I'm usually somewhere in the 12 to 14 over category on 18.
2: Not bad. Okay. So you go to college in 2008, choosing to go to the university in North Carolina. Why did you decide to go there? And were there other schools you considered? I ask this because almost every time I have a sports journalist on the podcast, I talked to them and they nearly ended up going somewhere else as opposed to where they actually ended up.
0: Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to break the chain on that one. Um, You know, it's, this is going to sound very arrogant, but Carolina was the only place I applied. Um, I got in early admission. I just knew I wanted to go there. I never, and everyone has always asked me even from, you know, 10 years ago when I got in, they were like, well, what was going to be your backup school? Well, I didn't know. I, I kind of figured that I would figure that out when I crossed. The, if I had to cross that bridge, I would figure it out when I got there. And I never had to. So I've never really considered it. I chose Chapel Hill uh, because I knew I wanted to go into sports journalism. I'd spent three years interning uh, at the Gaston Gazette, a small paper uh, in Gastonia, the paper of record in Gastonia, where my high school was. Uh, and I knew that sports journal journalism was going to be my thing. I knew that, uh, UNC has had and has a fantastic journalism school. The daily Tar Heel was and is, uh, one of the top college newspapers, uh, in the country. And in my opinion is the best though, uh, Syracuse's newspapers really given them a uh, quite the run this past year. And then also knew that, Hey, I'm not going to be covering UNC basketball freshman year. And what, uh, what UNC offered was a lot of very good Olympic sports, women's soccer there. At UNC is probably the greatest college sports dynasty mm-hmm. that there is. Uh, you look at the lacrosse teams, you look at the men's soccer team, all the other things that you would be covering in your first couple of years that were really good at. Uh, and so all of those, and, and of course it wasn't that far from home, a little more than two hours away. So all of those things, uh, made me a Tar Heel.
2: You mentioned the daily Tar Heel. You became eventually sports editor. You oversaw a 25-person staff. What was that experience like for you? And talk about a couple of the biggest benefits and maybe a challenge or two of doing that. Because, again, I mean, this is North Carolina we're talking about, not some little community college. You know, sports are obviously a huge part at UNC.
0: Yeah, and, you know... (laughs) It was during a very interesting time uh, that I was sports editor. So I guess my freshman year, UNC wins the national championship in basketball. uh, And then going into, uh, I guess it would have been my junior year, right? Yeah, Uh, junior year, that's when Butch Davis has these Tar Heels ready to go. Uh, This is going to be, um, you know, I, I don't, it sounds crazy saying UNC national championship team. But when you look back at that football team that they had with Greg Little, with Marvin Austin, um, you know, uh, this was a really good football team that could have been a top 10 team. And of course, uh, that summer before, uh, that's when the NCAA uh, investigation really started. The scandal really started. And so uh, that was that's to have a front seat to that uh, taught me a lot. Uh, about not just about the nitty gritty in journalism, right? About FOIA's, uh, about uh, you know getting different sources for different things, and not just running with whatever the message boards say. Uh, but then also about relationships and how uh, you have to. It, it, it was really, I'll say this: everyone that was covering that, all of the the quote unquote professionals who were covering that, they did not have the the inherent. Uh, advantage that I had as a student of being on campus, of taking classes <laughs> or paper classes with some of these athletes, and right. so I tried to use that and and, and tell our staff about that. Look, the, the the Raleigh News and Observer, the fantastic work that they did and continue to do, they can't, they don't have these relationships with these guys, but we do. So let's let's use that. So it was a really fascinating time to to be there uh, during all of that, uh, and certainly was was the big you know, my first big foray into what real journalism is.
2: Now, I read that you interned at Sports Illustrated in 2011. Am I correct there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's
0: right, at SI.com. And
2: obviously, you know, obviously that wouldn't be the last time you'd see them. What was that experience like for you being an intern there?
0: Yeah, so I I knew I wanted to to go up to uh, SI.com. Well, I wanted to go to si. And I knew that I, that as an intern, I wasn't going to get very many opportunities uh, to get my name in print. And so, when the decision was, "Hey, do I want to try to get on with the magazine, or do I want to try to get on get in with .com?", I figured I'm going to get way more bylines at .com uh, than I will in the magazine. And um, and so I went with .com. BJ Schechter, who uh, who's no longer there, uh, you know, I bugged him for about a year and a half about that internship, and I was one of I think three or four others who uh, who was part of that intern staff for 10 weeks. And it was a really, it was a fantastic experience. Um, it was a life chang- changing, experience, living up in New York, um, uh, working at the time life building, uh, just again, I'm a lifelong North Carolinian. That's the most that I've ever spent really outside of the state. Um, it, it taught me as much as I love New York and I do, I very much love New York. I love visiting there. Yeah. I found out that me personally, I am not built to live in New York City, Uh, that that it just it moves too fast for me. It makes me cuss a little more than I want to. Uh, But I do love the taste of it for four or five days. And so I get up as often as I can for work. But uh, that was a really, really cool experience.
2: After college, you get a job at the Charlotte Observer. That was pretty much almost almost out of school, wasn't it? Did you get that job pretty much right away?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the interesting story behind that, um, you know, this is coming after Cam Newton's offensive rookie of the year season in mm-hmm. 2011, uh, the Charlotte observer. So when I was at North Carolina, I did a lot of uh, freelance work for the Raleigh news and observer uh, on the Olympic sports, women's soccer, lacrosse, blah, blah, blah. And uh, in the triangle, both NC state and North Carolina, even Duke. And what, uh well, the in the and the Charlotte Observer sister papers. And so Cam has this fantastic year. Uh, the next season, you know, the Charlotte Observer is gearing up for this crazy coverage because they've never experienced anything like Cam Newton. Charlotte had never experienced anything like Cam Newton. Right. So they're going to hire a new beat writer or a second a second beat writer. Uh, and they created this position. They called. Uh, I was coming out of school, obviously, and was ready to, to take that on. At least I thought I was. Uh, and uh, it was... It was such a, a neat experience. I don't know if I was <laughs> – I say I thought I was. I don't know if I was ready to cover an NFL beat uh, at, at just, just having turned 22. Um, I didn't make any huge mistakes. There's no, there's no great regrets. But I think uh, – I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you this. Week three of the NFL season, I think the Panthers are playing down in Atlanta, and I broke out into shingles. And, you know, 22-year-old healthy guy, and I look back on that, and it was clear. That I was just so stressed, but didn't want to admit it to myself that, that I was stressed. Oh, no, I got this. It's nothing. Cam's just a guy, whatever. But but the, the stress of it all was eating at me. And I, I promise you, a month into the gig, I broke out in shingles.
2: I was just going to ask you that, you know, you're first starting out. You're still you're young. You're only in your early 20s and you're covering an NFL beat and you're in an NFL locker room. I mean, yeah, that's got to be intimidating. So you've already talked about that. How did you overcome that? What was the process like overcoming, you know, that, intima- I don't want to know, maybe intimidation is not the best word, nerves for sure. How did you overcome that and have it become second nature to you?
0: Well, one, I grew a beard because I didn't want the guys in the locker room to know <laughs> that, that they were getting interviewed by, by a 22-year-old. <laughs> so I did that. No, it, it, you just, it, it just takes time and you just have to get reps and again, I was fortunate enough to not make any huge mistakes. I had enough background to know what I shouldn't do. Uh, so there was nothing crazy or, or anything. If I go back and read my clips from 2012, I'm sure I would shake my head today. But, you know, it was getting the first training camp under my belt. It was getting I'd done some road trips with the Daily Tar Heel, which is a fantastic um, uh, element to college newspapers that uh, if if people are out there listening, especially sports media folks who are wondering about donating time or effort or money to their old college newspaper, all these college newspapers need money to send those kids on the road trips that we all went on that helped uh, teach us so much about this. So I would encourage anyone listening to do that. Um, but it was just about getting those things under my belt, sitting in the front row of the press conferences a couple more times and asking those questions. And what really, really helped was the Panthers. Look, there's still a small market NFL team. Uh, there's the AP at, at the time ESPN didn't have a writer devoted to it. So right. uh, there was myself and my colleague Joe person at the Charlotte observer. Uh, there was an the AP and I'm struggling to think if there was anyone else that was there, every day like we were uh, and so they didn't get a whole bunch of national attention so you're not asking questions in a press conference that is that's really being uh televised live on nfl network and so i was able to learn you know and you know cam was not um was not as big as he is now and so as he's growing as the team is growing as people start getting eyes on them i'm also learning behind the scenes along with that and so i wasn't thrust into Tom Brady and Bill Belichick 18 years together. Uh good luck, buddy. This was really I got in on the ground level as they were really working their way up. And that was uh it, it was it's really all about timing and a lot of fortune and, and that's what I got.
2: Now as you mentioned, you get there in Cam's second season. How was it covering him then while he was still a young player? Not that he's exactly old now, because he's not old, but how much has he changed through the years with you being around the team? Has he changed?
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, he he has, you know, when when he was starting out, I think that his people wanted a relationship with uh, with the local newspaper, and you know that uh, it, it was good early on. Uh, I would get with Cam, and we'd spend. You know, if I wanted him for a preseason feature that would run on, you know, on week one, we could sit down for forty-five minutes or an hour. Um, you know, he he has never been the guy who, hey, yeah, just come ask me that question at my locker after the press conference. Like when he's at the podium on Wednesday at two o'clock or whatever it is, that's when you have your opportunity to ask him whatever question. If you don't get it into those twelve minutes, he's not really going to help you out all that much. Uh, but it was fascinating to see the discussion with Cam. Uh, and around cam through the years and you know obviously he took a bit of a step back uh i think playing wise in 2012 and in 13 they go on to the playoffs and they Mm -hmm. go 12 and 4 and this is when it's clicking for him um and so to see his maturation to see how you know and i mentioned earlier how they wanted a relationship with the local paper well then cam gets so big in 2015 he doesn't need a relationship with the local media and his people don't and while it's nice to, for for me to say like oh you know we can actually do something for cam and i do believe that his i don't think his people necessarily saw that as as a viable option anymore you know they were trying to get him into gq they were trying to get him on on you know way more national outlets they didn't really care so much about their relationship with the observer and so uh relationships frayed uh nothing that w- with cam that that ever everything was always above board but we were certainly by the end of my time at the observer and in the fall of 2016, my relationship with Cam was not what it was in, let's say, the fall of 2013.
2: Now, in 2015, you mentioned Carolina being really good in 13. They took a major step back in 14. They were mediocre. Everything clicks in 2015. They go 15-1 and one during the regular season. They go to the Super Bowl. I mean, they'd go on to lose to Denver. Forget the team for a second for you. It had to be a fun and interesting year for you to cover that team. And I'm assuming that was the first Super Bowl that you've covered as well, correct?
0: Yeah, it was. It was the first of the the past three that I've covered. And it was a really fun and interesting time, obviously. Again, at this point, ESPN has now added uh, a writer to uh, to solely cover the Panthers part of their NFL Nation group, mm-hmm. but there still were not a lot of people covering the team, and so you know they go four and zero, and it's okay. Well, whatever, they're they're going to lose, no worries. They go six and zero, they start going eight and zero, and then there's a lot of intrigue around it. Well again, the interesting part was now I have four years of of NFL coverage under my belt. I have a decent relationship with the quarterback who uh, halfway through the season is an MVP candidate. Obviously, we all know he wins the MVP that year. Mm -hmm. Um, There aren't many people writing much about the team, and so anyone listening, if you think, hey, I want to find out something about panthers coverage and you're not in north carolina or in the carolinas you're probably going to go to charlotteobserver.com and that's that speaks to the great work that again my former colleague joe person has done over the years but that's probably where you're going because you don't really know of any other sources around here so that's also what was happening and so they continue to win in 12 and 0 and whatnot and more and more people are coming to the observer and cams making more noise uh, you know the the Tennessee mom thing where he danced against the Titans and the and the mother got all upset. It was yeah. interesting because you know we were also at a time where you know he's he's a black quarterback. Uh, and at the time there, you know, now it's, it's very easy to talk about, or it's not easy to talk about race, but we have been, we, we are more acclimated to talking more about race since really the election than we were. If you can take yourself back to the fall of 2015, that was not something that nationally we were discussing so much. And so, uh, because of all those things, I had a lot of stories to myself, uh, because I was a, a black sports writer covering cam newton and we had a relationship there were other uh stories that i could write with some perspective uh and all of those things led to me of course like if the panthers go one and 15 no one's really going to care what i write right i would hope that i still did good work well they went 15 and one and people are going to care what i write and i still hope that i did good work and i think that that was reflected uh you know and obviously making the jump to si uh less than a year later
2: how did that opportunity with si come about in the fall of 2016 uh yeah, I think
0: it kinda happened in the summer. Uh I got a call uh from Melissa Jacobs, the former SI.com NFL editor. Uh we had crossed paths at the Super Bowl, but uh I, I think Doug Ferrar uh was at SI.com. And I don't i I don't know what exactly I think he left on his own volition. I'm not entirely sure. He got the job with Bleacher Report is I think what happened. And so they had a position open. And so she called knowing that Doug was about to leave and I was like, yeah, let's do it. And it was a no brainer for me. I got to stay in Charlotte. I got to cover the NFL. I got to be with sports illustrated. This was not the MMQB. This was si.com slash NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I liked working with her. Uh, and so it was an obvious move for me. Uh, you know, I loved my time at the observer, but it was sports illustrated and, <laughs> and you got it. You got to go. Um, yeah. And then, you know, and, it, so that was, that was the obvious move for me, and I'm very appreciative for her. But again, that was SI.com slash NFL. And back then, Sports Illustrated, we all kind of worked in silos, the NFL writers for the magazine, the NFL writers for SI.com, and then, of course, the MMQB. And so it was always kind of, am I doing this? And there were a few times in that first year where I would write something, but then somebody at the MMQB was also writing that or it just got published right before mine did. Uh, so there were some kinks that we had to work out.
2: How much was being able to remain living in Charlotte part of the equation for you taking that job?
0: Uh, it was huge. It was huge. I've I've carved out a a very nice uh, life here. Um, you know, there's plenty of obviously high school friends. Uh, I just played golf with one yesterday. There are plenty of college friends. Uh, you know, I'm an only child. My mom's a single mom, and so she's very close by, and so that's important. But you know, when you start factoring in cost of living, when you factor in familiarity, when you factor in, yeah, I can, I can push myself in other ways. I don't need to go challenge myself for the sake of challenging myself. I don't have to go move across the country just so I can say I did that mm-hmm. or just because I need a challenge. I can find other ways to challenge myself. And I try to do that uh, professionally a lot with different stories that I take on. Uh, but I don't have to do that to prove anything to myself. So when S. I said, yeah, you can stay down there. We'd prefer you to stay down there. We don't really have uh, a great footprint in, in terms of people working in the South and Southeast. Uh, and, and I looked at it. One, as a, uh, as a great thing, but two, uh, as an opportunity uh, for myself that, okay, if they don't have anyone down here, and there are a lot of really good teams starting to crop up. You could see the Falcons were starting to come up. Yeah, obviously, the Panthers, the Titans with Marcus Mariota, the Bucks with Jameis Winston. There are a lot of smaller market teams around here. Not that Atlanta is a small market, but they they certainly didn't have a lot of eyes on them before they went to the Super Bowl. Um, there are a lot of smaller market teams in this area that I can get to very quickly that don't have a lot of of eyeballs on them, uh, both fan-wise, reader-wise, and media-wise. And if I can kind of get in with those teams and start to make some contacts with them, that may snowball a little bit into when they're really good, I'm going to be there.
2: That's a great point. Let me ask you this. All right. So you're, you're in college, you work for the school newspaper, you become the sports editor of the school newspaper, you get a job in Charlotte, you're covering the Panthers, you're on the beat. How big of an adjustment was it for you, you know, going from covering a team for a newspaper to going to a national publication or, you know, online site, like SI.com.
0: Yeah, the, the, the phrase that I always used was, I, when I was covering the Panthers, you had to know everything about everything, right? I needed to know who the emergency safety was if they were down to their their sixth guy. I had to know who the backup punter was, right? And not just the backup punter, but the backup backup punter. Right. Well, then you move on to a national beat, and it's Okay. I can't possibly know everything about all 32 teams <laughs> there. There there's no way, but you gotta know a lot about all of them. And so, you know, you started doing, I started doing some radio hits and I'd get an email uh, from, I don't know, let's just throw out a team. Let's say the Cincinnati Bengals. Right. And they say, they see ooh, national writer for, for sports illustrated. Let's have him on because we've had on the other 17 people. Let's get on a fresh voice and let's talk about the offseason with the Bengals. Well, you know, I I hadn't really been covering the Bengals that much. And so there were some times where either I would turn those things down or I'd do a, like a crash course, uh, you know, the day before, like, okay, if they ask me about, uh, the, the the right tackle, I'm going to have something to say on that. And so it was, it was, I remembered again, getting shingles in in 2012 in my first year covering the team. And I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to understand that Uh, if, if something's overwhelming, I'm going to say to myself, this is a little overwhelming. I'm just going to, I'm going to take a walk. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that really, I learned from that. And I think that I had a really good first year, but there was still plenty that, uh, that I learned from, uh, in, in 2016.
2: What's your take working with Jenny Brentis? Because first of all, I love her. She's been on the podcast. I'm a big fan of hers and she's kind of taken that path. Sort of like you have. She was a, a beat writer. She covered the Jets, you know, and kind of transitioned into national football writing, which you're doing now.
0: I think, I think Jenny is so fantastic, uh, both as a person, but, and especially as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many times I interview folks in and outside of football who are like, hey, how about how about that Jenny? Man, she's really good. <laughs> well, uh, I'll ask you uh, right out of the air. Yeah. Yeah, I hear it all the time uh, she she's great uh, I wish that I got to work with her more often of course she's up in New York but right uh, we've gotten we've gotten to know each other fairly decently uh, since I came over to the MMqB about this time last year when we finally all merged and got under the same umbrella and everyone knew what everyone else was doing uh, and and she's been a great friend in this industry
2: was it difficult learning that Peter King was leaving si yeah
0: I mean we're not we're, look we're not better without Peter King. Uh, you know there's there's no two ways about it uh, he he makes wherever he goes better um, he got us in the front door at a lot of places you know I sat in some general managers offices who I wouldn't have been sitting there if one Peter was not with me or two Peter hadn't said hey Jonathan's coming into town you know what do this f- for him and so uh we're we're not better uh, without him uh, and we all know that now look. Is there will there be more opportunities uh, at the bigger stories because the big fish is gone? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You know, there's there's no doubt about that. And if we're all being honest with each other, there are there are pros to the top guy leaving and everybody moving up. I don't think anyone's ignorant to that fact, but the cons are still there uh, that that he amplified. Uh, my voice that he, um, that he had some really good story ideas, uh, that he has a lot of connections. And if you need a phone number, Hey, Peter, what's so-and-so's number? Boom. It's in your email in a minute from then. Those are all things that I'm certainly going to miss, but of course, uh, you know, he, he will still remain a great friend and, and I, hopefully we'll be able to, to chat about non-work things all the time, including beer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I ask all sports writers the same question. It's one of a series of questions that I ask everyone. Who was the toughest athlete that you've ever had to deal with? And I'm not saying necessarily, you know, the biggest jerk or the worst person, just someone who kind of made your life more difficult than you feel like it needed to be. I would think cabs probably one, but.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean look, and and Cam when he's on, he's on. You know, there are plenty of Wednesday press conferences that Cam like he knew if he could turn it on that uh, we're all going to light up and and tap away at our sure. keyboards and try to tweet out whatever. So he was he was good. Uh, you know, I guess uh, this answer <laughs> DeAndre Williams toward the end of his Panther career, you know, he's he ended up just being really difficult to deal with. Um kind of like he he was going through Uh, A lot personally, his mom had passed away uh, the year previous, but even really before that, he had just kind of been a malcontent in the locker room. He always liked to crack jokes. And sometimes the jokes either weren't all that funny or just were made folks a little uncomfortable just because like... (sighs) I, I, there were, there were just things with D'Angelo in his, in his final couple of years at Carolina that it was like, you you don't always have to be this way. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know? And so, and I think we've seen that a, a little bit on Twitter sometimes where, you know, he admits to being petty. Uh, I think we saw it on, uh, he did a hit with good morning football where he kind of unnecessarily got into it with Kyle Brandt, uh, that when I watched that I was like, that's, that's, you, you tried to explain it. Like I'm trying to explain it now. And if, if, People are taken aback by it because he is a fun-loving guy, and he does a lot of good uh, in the Charlotte community uh, and in the community of men and women affected by breast cancer. Uh, he does a great deal of good. But if you kind of want to understand what I'm saying, there's there's visual evidence of it. Uh, good Morning Football, DeAndre Williams and Kyle Brandt, where they just went back and forth, where DeAndre was just being unnecessarily rude to him. And that's kind of what it was the last couple of years.
2: Hmm. What's your stance towards social media, particularly Twitter? Because it's kind of a balance between it being beneficial for your career. You know, you're posting your stories and stuff like that. That's obvious. But it's also a detriment because of the trolls that it attracts. You know, it's so easy to get dragged through the mud. You know, people taking shots at you because they don't like your message. You, you know, you write something about you know, a player that they don't want to hear that. So they start talking shit to you and it's just so easy to get dragged into that stuff with trolls. You know what I mean? What's your stance towards Twitter?
0: Yeah, no, I do know what you mean. And I probably took on a few more of those fights in the past than I do now. Um, I'm a I'm a big believer and if somebody's not smart enough for for the conversation then I'm not going to deal with them. Then you're just you just are not worth my time. And so I see the trolls um and you know they either they either just get blocked or you know my mentions will if if I have a story out or something they're ultimately just going to be they're going to be pushed down to the bottom where I'm not even going to think about it anymore. Um right I really haven't blocked anyone in a very long time. Now I do preemptive blocks where if I know that I'm not going to like that dude's politics, I'm just going to go ahead and block him. I don't <laughs> want to see him retweeted in my timeline whatsoever. One of the best feelings I have is when I see this tweet is unav- unavailable. I love seeing those things. Like, oh, I think right, I know what you're
2: talking about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so there's, there's plenty of that. Uh, but no, I, I let a lot of that stuff go. And I think, you know I I know that this isn't some uh, this isn't a political podcast but in the past year and a half uh, and really the past two years you know predating uh, the November 16 election I, it's just that stuff just yeah, there are far more important conversations to be had yeah. over you being upset with me because I put somebody on a key free agent acquisition list that you don't think is going to be key at all. I just I don't care what you have to say. Um, and that that that. But you know, my, my life has not lived on Twitter. It probably was in 2012 and 2013 as I'm trying to make a name for myself. And a lot of people in sports media won't necessarily admit this, but there there comes a point where. You don't need Twitter as much. And there are, there are guys in sports media that don't need Twitter anymore. Like when like Wright Thompson doesn't need Twitter, and so he's not on Twitter. And it's nice that he can just detach himself from that, but there are other people, people like me, I still need Twitter. I don't need it as much as I did five, six years ago, but I still need it. And honestly, there's, there's a lot of it that like, hey, I like to know that people are reading what I'm putting out. Uh, I don't want to just write something and then just say, oh, okay, it's on the site," and I never see the numbers, and I don't really care who reads it or not. So it is nice to see that certain stories get traffic. But uh, I don't know. I'm a fairly positive person, so I've I've let go of all the trolls.
2: You're an intelligent, well-rounded dude. You're not just a football writer. Does it bother you when people say, "Stick to sports"? You know, if you try to you try to have an opinion on a a movie. Or or Trump or Hillary or any political stuff, anything that's not football or sports. People say stick to sports. Doesn't that just drive you crazy? Yeah, you know. Again,
0: it used to. It certainly did when when all that stuff was going on. And I think I think at this point, uh, it's gotten it's gotten to the point where I can't stick to sports. Uh, if you go back to the 2015 year and the stuff with with Cam and uh, and the Tennessee mother and the coded racism that 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 he dealt with and still deals with uh but certainly dealt with early on in his career and me kind of interpreting that as a younger writer and then um obviously engaging myself more uh in social matters and matters regarding race over the years and and learning more about that stuff It, it and then you see the hole that's in sports media where uh people don't are not well read on it um Look, I'll say this. A lot of people, when, when they lament the media did not prepare the country for Trump's election, that the media was out of touch, leftist elites, coastal elites, and all that stuff, part of that is very true, that there were just not enough people with enough various backgrounds uh, to, to let people know. Like, I don't know. I think that dude has a chance. I 100% thought that he was going to win. And, and I thought that because I live, you know, I'm biracial. So I, I live in, in a black and a white world, and I've seen these things and I have these experiences. And that's something that is desperately missing in the sports media realm. I think that more people who look like me and, and women of color should be in sports media, uh, have have to be there. Editors have to hire them. I see what The Athletic is doing, for example. And last year, and I retweeted this recently, last year The Athletic said, hey, we know that we haven't been hiring uh, very diversely. We've got to be better. We will be better. And they're not any better. You know, They're still 85% male or something like that, or 85% white and I think 75% male. They're no better. And you you're not going to be a successful news organization if you are not diverse in thought, diverse in look, uh, diverse in background. So uh, that's that's my soapbox. Uh, When people say stick to sports, I think that we actually need to go away from that uh, and really open up our minds to everything that sports brings in. And that is race and that is class and that is socioeconomic and, and so on and so forth.
2: Great point, man. Get on that soapbox more often. I like it. I love hearing stuff like that. You brought up some really good points. I'll tell you what, though. Let's talk a little actual NFL stuff now as we start to wind this down a little bit, particularly a couple posts that you've uh, that you've written about recently. One of them involves the Browns. You said, you know, despite Hugh Jackson repeatedly saying Tyrod Taylor's the man in Cleveland this year, you don't believe he's actually made a final decision. And you pointed out, which you're completely right, about three separate occasions last year, where he made, you know, premature proclamations with Cody Kessler, Brock Osweiler, and and Deshaun Kaiser. Do you believe that it's going to be a true open competition this summer? And if so, I mean, are you looking forward to as a football fan? Because I know you're a football fan. Do you think Hard Knocks is going to be a fun watch this summer?
0: I'm I'm very excited for Hard Knocks. I really like Baker Mayfield's attitude. Uh, I would hate it if I played against him. I'd love it if I played with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really like uh Tyrod Taylor I did not think that uh he really got his due uh in in Buffalo I think at the end hey, of his Buffalo career folks, I'm a
2: Buffalo guy man I'm born and raised I, there yep I I
0: know it and I think at the end of his career folks kind of came around to him but I'll I, like I'll tell you this uh, you're, you're talking about the Browns but because you're Buffalo guy uh, there are three quarterbacks in my mind do not equal Tyrod Taylor and I'm not even saying Tyrod Taylor is is that great of a quarterback i think he is an above average quarterback right but I don't love A.J. McCarron. I certainly don't love Nathan Peterman. And Josh Allen was, was the quarterback that I least liked coming out of college because I believe if you turn the ball over a lot in college, you're going to continue to turn the ball over a lot in the NFL and the way the Buffalo Bills were and are constructed. Don't turn the ball over all that much. Don't lose us the game, Tyrod, or insert quarterback's name here. Get LaShawn McCoy 100 yards on the ground. The, the defense was uh, was pretty solid last year. I think is going to be better this year. And you can win nine games and get into the playoffs. Else, which is exactly what they did but i don't like their quarterback situation at all you but you you asked about the browns maybe we'll talk about the bills later oh um, we're going to like <laughs> last year for for the magazine i did a story on quarterback competitions in the preseason and about certain promises that are made to veterans who come in and sign big deals and certain promises that are made to first round draft picks and how all of that never pans out in July and August, how everything always gets turned upside down, uh, how the, the first round pick was supposed to get X, Y and Z and ends up getting none of it. How the how the top guy comes in and this is supposed to be his team. And then the, the owner comes down and says, hey, that guy that we spent the first round pick on, he needs to be getting the reps, even if he's not ready. And so when I hear Hugh Jackson say, oh, it's it's going to be Tyrod. He's our guy. Well, if Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield's is going to make it very difficult for Hugh Jackson to put him on the bench in week one. I'm not saying that Tyrod can't earn it. I'm not saying that he hasn't earned being, uh, being said that about him right now, but Baker Mayfield is, is not going to allow Ty- Tyrod Taylor to just take the job. Uh, and so that's why I think Hugh Jackson last year, when I did the story, I'm reading about the Browns and I'm like, okay, well it's going to be Cody Kessler. And then it ends up absolutely not being Cody Kessler. That's kind of how I feel this year. <laughs>
2: Let's circle back to the Bills. And for the record, when it comes to Tyrod, I almost completely agree with you. If you're down 17 points in the second half, you're not winning nine times out of 10. But sure. like you said, he does not turn the ball over, and that can be a positive. He it, The Bills won a lot of games last year simply because they didn't turn the ball over and they kept it close, and then the secondary would make a key play in the fourth quarter. I remember Tampa Bay, there were at least three or four games that they won like that know what I mean? And it's because Tyrod wasn't a turnover machine. And of course, he made a couple plays with his legs. He's one of the best, if not the best, running quarterback in the league. Let me ask you this about the Bills, okay? Because I did read your post. You predicted records for each team. And you had the Bills finishing dead last in the NFL this year. Now, that I just don't see. And, And listen... Neither of us know. We'll find out in over the next seven months or so. Right. Do you think that the quarterback play is going to drop off that much, which is a very realistic possibility to the point that they can go from being a team that won nine games last year, albeit, like I said, they they got lucky in a handful of those games. They weren't really a nine-win team last year, but going from there to potentially dead last in the league this year. Well, you
0: know, uh, I don't have much faith in the Tampa Bay Bucks, and that came out before Jameis Winston had a three-game suspension. So mm-hmm. uh, if if Bills fans want to feel better, uh, if I could go back and change that, I'd probably have Tampa uh, ha- having fewer wins uh, than the Buffalo Bills because of that. But I-, I do think quarterback play matters that much. Again, A.J. McCarron, as everyone was scooping up uh, quarterbacks uh, in a couple days after free agency, he was the guy – uh, in musical chairs, who was left out? And no, and you know it took him a while. If you remember, right, the Bills didn't really pounce on AJ McCarron like they could have. He was always there. They never pounced on him, right? Nathan Peterman, listen, I hear everything that's coming out of Bills Bills camp. I have not laid eyes on him in minicamp, so I, I'm I'm going to trust what the reporters are saying that that he looks good and he has a chance to be the starter. But I what I have seen from him is not good at
2: all. He's in t-shirts and shorts right now. Right, right, and and what I've seen from him in pads.
0: Was very very bad, and then Josh Allen. You know, I was you, you well know there were people who loved Josh Allen and his big arm, and there were people who hated Josh <laughs> Allen. Right there was there was really not a whole lot of in between. Well, I I sided on the I'm not crazy about Josh Allen, the, the football player. I don't like that uh, he turned the ball over as much as he did against the lesser competition. When I was covering the Senior Bowl uh, earlier on uh, in my earlier days for the Charlotte Observer. I didn't. It's so difficult to to watch the hundred guys out there, and you'd always get tweets. Hey, what about my favorite guy from this small school? What oh, what I always looked for was the guy who just dominated at his position because he played up. This is this is major competition, and he played up to it. And what I see from Josh Allen is he's playing down to his competition. Uh, that he did not show up in big games. And I'm I'm not saying that he didn't will Wyoming to a win against Oregon. I'm saying that he didn't play well at all against the, the few good teams that they played and that his really good stats came against the kind of bad teams. And all the while he's turning the ball over to good, bad and average teams on a very consistent basis. And so because of that, I'm not crazy about what he has to offer as a rookie and really what he has to offer throughout his career. There is a, in terms of turnovers, I'm not crazy about it because there is a positive relationship between turnovers in college and turnovers in the NFL. So it is it really is the quarterback situation, but then it's also I don't love the wide receivers. I spent a lot of time with Kelvin Benjamin in Carolina. Uh, yeah, I, you I did. don't you know I don't love Zay Jones. this, this is a really bad wide receiver group. Um, you know, and then they, what they've lost, what, at least two, maybe three offensive linemen. So yeah. This is three a rework. Yeah, yeah.
2: They have Glenn incognito and, uh, Eric wood. And so, you know,
0: could they piece it all together? Yeah, maybe so. But and, – and, again, I love that defense. I love that secondary. And I watched a lot of Bills last year because, uh, you know, they were here in Carolina. Zay Jones drops that pass, and maybe Tyrod Taylor could have put it in a better spot. He got to catch that pass. He drops that one. So that was a win for him. Uh, I saw them beat Atlanta, right, Yeah. Uh, uh, down in Atlanta. And then I was at the Jacksonville playoff game. But, anyway, so I, I saw three of their games in person. I like what they have what they had and I understood their formula as mentioned earlier, but now with a reworked offensive line with a lesser quarterback, with uh, a, a receiving group that I don't love. Yeah. I don't think they're going to be all that good.
2: In your opinion, and obviously these are opinions here. Do you think Brandon Bean made a mistake all right, let's put it this way. They weren't getting Baker Mayfield at the top, and they weren't getting Darnold at three because the Jets were not moving that pick. So, right. And they couldn't get up to two with the Giants to go get him, even if they, that's what they wanted. But do you think, in your opinion, that they made a big mistake by not taking Josh Rosen instead of Josh Allen? If the Bills had drafted Rosen, do you think your fortunes for the team, your prospects for the team might be different?
0: My prospects for the team would be different. Uh, I'm I'm certain that they, they absolutely love Josh Allen. I'm certain that they that they are, as we mentioned, the two groups, that they are on the opposite side. And that's fine. Well, and good because there are a lot of very smart football people on that side uh, of this conversation. Not all the smart football people are on my side and all the idiots on the other side. That's not the case whatsoever. Uh, Josh Allen has really, um, you know, divided a lot of very smart football people. And so I'm not going to be arrogant enough to say my side is correct. I believe that Brandon Bean in that group really believes that Josh Allen is the real deal. There's no doubt at all about it. Would I have taken Josh Rosen? Yes. And had they taken Josh Rosen, I would have a better outlook on the 2018 Buffalo Bills and honestly and beyond, because I think he's clearly the better prospect. But they don't. Uh, they, They went with Josh Allen and, you know, look. If they go out and win nine or 10 games this year and A.J. McCarron and Nathan Peterman never see the field uh, and Josh Allen's the rookie of the year, uh, I'll happily eat that crow.
2: (laughs) If there's one thing I hate about them picking Josh Allen is that it's the same thing. Like I said, I I I live in Florida now, but I've spent my whole life in Buffalo and I'm always on top of Buffalo stuff. There's a big divide with Tyrod. Some fans loved him and he he was the best. Some people hated him. They couldn't get rid of him fast enough. I I was always in the middle with him. But anyway, it's the same thing with Josh Allen. Some fans love him. And I mean, man, some fans were pissed off when they drafted Josh Allen. Wait till the kid has one bad game. I mean, who knows if he even plays as a rookie. First time the kid has a bad game, the fans are going to jump on him. It's going to be the same division shit that it was before. So I hate that. One more football question here because it's obviously not going to be the Buffalo Bills who do you think has the best chance of taking down New England in the AFC? Ooh, uh AFC.
0: You know, you obviously you, you kinda gotta <laughs> it, it's gonna be I wanna say the Steelers, but but the but the Jaguars are right there. And I know it sounds obvious because I've just mentioned two uh, of the top AFC teams, right? But if if Blake Bortles can do what he did last year and it's the same tie rod formula, right? Just don't lose this game. Yeah. Don't turn the ball over. Like let the, the defense the this defense is, is great. Oh yeah. It is it is an elite defense. Um so much so that like you know, like the second or third best defensive lineman is Malik Jackson. Um, you know, the AJ Bouye and, and Jalen Ramsey are, are two and one. I mean it's Kelvin Smith's a really good linebacker who doesn't get a lot of love because, you know, of the defensive line in front of him and the secondary behind him. Telvin Smith's a really good linebacker. And so this defense is really good. And we saw how close they were. Um, to, to beating Tom Brady and the Patriots. I don't know if Blake Bortles will continue, will have another great season where he doesn't turn the ball over and doesn't morph back into Blake Bortles of the previous year. Um, And so you want to be safe and say the Steelers, but I'm going to say the Jacks.
2: Okay. Just like I have with every guest, I'm going to end this with a little mini lightning round. What I'm going to do is ask you just a small handful of questions, random questions, not too much sticking required. Whatever pops in your mind, just spit it out. All right, cool. All right. Favorite athlete that you've covered?
0: Oh, that I've covered. Let's say Mike Tober for the Buffalo audience as well.
2: Okay. Scariest moment you can remember as a kid. Like Something that scared the shit out of you that you can remember.
0: Uh, the first thing that came to my mind was when Linda Blair's head turns around in the exorcist. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's not something that really happened to me, but that scared the shit out of me.
2: <laughs> favorite non-sports related activity to do and golf doesn't count. And you can't say golf.
0: Oh, uh, drink IPAs.
2: Nice. Favorite city to visit. Seattle. What's your favorite sports movie ever?
0: Ooh, that's a good one. Oh gosh. He got game.
2: Okay. If you had never gotten involved in sports writing and journalism in any capacity, for whatever reason, what do you think you may have ended up doing with your life?
0: Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. That's hard. Just gonna... I know most of you guys yeah.
2: known from a young age that this is what you wanted to do.
0: That's right. I've really geared my whole life to it, but, uh, I don't know, I guess, I guess it would have to be something related to in, in the sales sector in some way.
2: Okay. Second, last question here. If Twitter were to send you a note and say, Hey John, man, you're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter and one person only, who would it be? And why?
0: Uh, I got to say, Bamani Jones, uh, he and I became, uh, friends when I was in Chapel Hill, he was living in Durham, uh, his mind works and moves in, in ways that I don't know anyone else in this industry, uh, that can do what he does. Uh, and he tweets so much and about so many different things that I can get everything that I need to oh. there, whether it's, it's politics or, or something going on in the world or something going on in the world of sports, I get it all on his feed. So I'm going to say, bro.
2: Okay. Last question here. I'm sure you've probably heard this before. You can have three dinner guests, dinner and drinks, a couple IPAs from any era, dead or alive. Who you got?
0: Uh, number one has got to be Muhammad Ali. Uh, I, I hate that. I never got to, to meet him. Uh, number two, the more I read about him, uh, Abe Lincoln. Uh, and then number three, Mm, that's a tough one. That's a, that's a really tough one. So we'll just, uh, we'll just, we'll, we'll throw Jordan on there. I think Jordan, Ali, and Abe Lincoln sitting at the dinner table. Uh, we'll, we'll just say that.
2: <laughs> Solid choices, man. Solid. All right, everyone, Jonathan Jones, John, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. Big thrill for me to have you on the podcast today. All the best, buddy. Appreciate you.
0: Hey, really appreciate you. Thank you.
1: To the victor belongs to sports. Why don't you get the fuck out of here before I shove your quotations book up your fat fucking
2: ass?
0: The customer is usually a moron and an
2: asshole. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but then listen, let me ask you this right at the top here. Can you remember a Sunday? in early July that was packed with so much huge sports news in just one day because we're taping this late Sunday night, July 1st. And holy shit, man, things went down today.
1: Oh, I, I see how it is. The big news day. You got to come back to the big dog now. <laughs> All right. I mean, look, look, I, I saw your little Ashley Schaefer game that you went with last week. All right. Bringing on uh, the unathletic AKA Reg Mackworthy, to my Kenny powers all right, don't go doing that shit again, man. All right. I'm I'm I butter the bread. This is what I'm talking about. A fucking showdown. All right. <laughs> You're the Monday don't guy. Bust. I'm the Monday guy. I'm the Monday guy. That's 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 all you could tell me. All we've been through. We'll pick that you know what? We'll we'll pick that up another time just because. There is a lot to get into, but you, you haven't heard the last of that. All right. You haven't, you haven't heard the last of that. You just keep that guy out of my, keep him in his lane. Just keep him in his lane. All right. I love the dude, man. I love the dude. Oh, I got to tell you real quick. I have him on all the time. I love listening to dude. I love him on Twitter too. I'm just busting balls there, but.
2: He's talking about Joe Buffalo wins on Twitter. I had him on the show last Thursday for a new segment called the running with Joe Good guy, pretty funny guy, lots of good stuff there. Let's start with the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, this is a Buffalo-based podcast. Tons of shit going on this weekend. And I kind of had, you know, a list of notes that I wanted to hit on one by one, but that kind of got thrown out of whack because like I said, we're taping this late Sunday night and just less than an hour ago, news broke that Ryan O'Reilly did indeed get traded. He gets dealt to the St. Louis Blues. And the haul they got back... Eh, I don't know. I'll ask you for your take on this. But before that, let me tell our listeners here if they haven't heard already, I'm sure they have. But here's the haul they got back. A first round pick in 2019, a second in 2021. Tage Thompson, a forward, who's only 20 years old. Patrick Berglund, another forward, and Vladimir Sabatka. And also, by the way, no salary was retained in this trade. And the Blues did pay Ryan O'Reilly's signing bonus. Let me get your take on your initial thoughts as you're hearing this. Again, we were just getting ready to prepare to start recording this segment, and that's when the news broke. So we haven't had a lot of time to digest this. It's a process. But right now, right off the bat, what are your quick first thoughts?
1: My quick first thoughts were I thought Botterill did exceptionally well. I I do tend to Drink the uh the Jason bottle of Kool-Aid a little bit. And I did it with Murray too. So clearly, uh, you know, I'm not uh not n- sitting here with the best track record, but I didn't know much about the players. All right. Uh I, I had heard that they wanted a one and a two all along, uh, and they got that. So, you know, that that part was uh was good. You know, and and then it just became a a matter of starting to look for links to, you know, uh, credible information on the players. And the more and more we start to get that, you know, we start to get a feel for where these players fit and, you know, just how long they, um, they may fit for. And I think the thing that is kind of being missed here is something that, You know, we talked about, everybody talked about when this offseason started, before it became all about O'Reilly and exactly what we could get for him. Like, people were excited about what the return might be. But, you know, all we heard was this locker room has to change. So, you know, if if you want to sit there and be someone who complains about Berglund's uh, salary and term or, you know— Sabaka, you know, not, uh, you know, not being worth what he gets paid also. I mean, both these guys seem a a little overpaid or that uh, Tage Thompson is, you know, has already had his shot at the NHL level and has not fit well. That's fine. There's an argument to be made for all of that. But let's not forget what we all felt this guy needed to do and change, all right, about the complexion of this team. And he got capable NHLers, all right. At least in Sabaka and Berglund, he got capable NHLers on a team that, quite frankly, probably um, still needed two or three uh, on the big roster. And he and he made a big dent in uh, in the locker room with veterans to go along with the uh, with the kids. So uh, my first reaction is is a positive one. And anyone else who's sitting there, you know, writing anything to the contrary because they think they know, all right, um, what the Sabers got—they're they're full of shit. Okay, everyone's the next Chris Baker now. Everyone thinks they're going to follow that path, you know. And there's just a lot of uh, a lot of people out there that think they know a lot about what's going on. And I'm just going to trust Jason Botterell to uh, to know what's going on best right now.
2: It should also be noted that if the San Jose Sharks make the playoffs next year everyone's going to assume that that's going to happen. They're a really good team. Because of that Evander Kane trade last year, Buffalo's actually going to have three first-rounders in next year's draft, so that's good. Regarding Tage Thompson, and again, I just was scrambling to do research and try to talk to a couple people before we started recording. He had three goals and nine points in 41 games last year. The kid's only 20 years old. He's a first-round pick in 2016, and he's still got two years left on his entry-level deal. I think that kid is the key player that the Sabres got coming back because he's a talented prospect, not an elite prospect, but a talented one. And I did look up Chris Baker. I'm glad you mentioned him on Twitter immediately after that to see what he had to say. Because frankly, when it comes to these young prospects, that's the first guy I always go to. So anyway, regarding him, he said the following. He goes big and skilled, historically strong on the power play, excellent shot. I see him playing right wing with the Sabres org, which I found interesting. Still just 20 years old, needs to add a little more beef to his six foot five frame. I had no idea he was that tall. Six five. Damn. Scored 33. Yeah. Scored 33 goals in 70 college games with UConn prior to his first pro season in 2017, 2018. So he's the key player, I think, that they got coming back. And again, the two guys that they got Berglund, Sabaka, those those are veteran bottom six guys, which I mean, listen. They're, they're not great players by any means. They're What you've seen is what you're going to get from them. They're not going to get better. They're a little, you know, one's 30, 130, one's 31. But the Sabres have had crap on the bottom six for at least a couple of years now. So maybe they give them a boost. And, and my take from that too are guys like Bailey and Batiste, you know, guys that are still young that we just assume are going to be third or fourth liners. Might not be the case now. You know what I mean? Add more forwards to the mix. They did bring Scott Wilson back today too. These guys, these young kids, nothing's going to be handed to them. So I like what Botterell's doing in that regard. And I'm glad you hit on O'Reilly about the locker room thing, because do you think that maybe based on his comments after the season and maybe some other stuff that we really don't know about that he kind of got, do you feel like maybe he got railroaded out of town?
1: I think even before those comments, O'Reilly was going to be the one that people talked about. In terms of you know changing up what's going on in that room, I think I think there are and you know surprisingly well I don't know if I want to say surprisingly or not, but Harrington has alluded to Leonard being a big part of people's discontent in that locker room man, and I think Leonard was a well. You know, uh, his personality was a bit of a favorite with fans because, you know, he had the he had the crazy eyes and, you know, that sort of thing going for him. And he was a a straight shooter, man. And I think I think we embraced that uh, if, you know, those that at least looked at him, you know, without uh, already, you know, selling him out because of what he was traded for. So I think, you know, people that looked at Leonard unbiasedly tended to like the way that he came across but Harrington says that was a big deal in, in the room. So, you know, how much uh, of, of the room was Leonard? How much of it was, you know, Kane and off ice shenanigans? And how much of it was just a personality crash, uh, clash, excuse me, with O'Reilly and, uh, and perhaps Jack? Boy, we'll, we'll never know that, man. We'll never know that. But, you know, O'Reilly got pinpointed as the guy that was the you know, the most marketable in terms of, uh, of an asset. And, um, this was always going to be Jack's team. So I don't want to call this addition by subtraction. I don't think it's that at all. I do think, you know, I, I do think there was a bit of a struggle in that, in that room. And, Jesus I mean I, I'm I'm not breaking news here by any stretch of the imagination the whole area knew that there was you know personality clashing in that room. Botterll just uh, uh just flipped did a did a nice little makeover in there um early on so far so I'm I'm totally cool with it. It's exactly what we said he needed to do.
2: Bonneril's committed to changing the dynamic of the team. I don't think there's any question about it you could tell over the last couple of days or even weeks when it came to any O'Reilly trade talk, he was complimentary, but lukewarm complimentary about you know him staying or him going, who's calling and stuff like that. So I think it was a long time coming. Let's not go thinking that the St. Louis Blues got ripped off and violated in this trade because they didn't. They got a legit top six four that they really coveted. O'Reilly's a good player. Okay, things didn't work out in Buffalo, but that guy's a good hockey player. And to get him, they gave up what's going to end up being likely a late first rounder because they're probably going to make the playoffs next year. You know, a late second rounder three years from now, a pretty good prospect, this Thompson kid, from what I'm reading early on. And again, neither of us really know much about him. So we we're unqualified to discuss where he fits in in this organization right now. But from what I'm reading, you know, maybe a second line Probably a third line good player, but that's what his uh his ceiling appears to be. So basically him and two salary dumps to make O'Reilly's money work. So St. Louis got a pretty good deal. If you're a blues fan, would you agree on that? I don't think they got ripped off by any means.
1: Yo, and, and I hope I didn't give that uh impression, even though I texted you before we before when we first started seeing some of the some of the names. Well, probably only because I was familiar with the names. I got all excited. But no, I, I I don't mean to give off that impression because I think I'm happy if I'm a Blues fan. I think I got the best player in the deal by a lot. And, you know, it's it's pretty easy to um, to give an early W to the Blues on this if that's the way you want to go. All right. Just because, you know, you, you look at the player that they acquired. And again, he's the best player in this, in this deal by a lot. But I still think it made sense for the Sabres. I'm, I'm cool with it, and I'm going to disagree with you on the role that Berglund's going to play. Now, we may get into this, you know, when we start to just kind of talk about where this leaves the Sabres in terms of, you know, in terms of their depth chart or, or lines or whatever. But, you know, even before this trade, when I thought that we might be coming on here just to talk about the potential of a Ryan O'Reilly trade, right? the, th- the thing that I was always going to allude to was the need to still replace O'Reilly with a center, all right, who can bridge that gap to Middlestat being your two, your eventual number two. And not only that, I'll take it a step further. I wanted to see them get a guy to bridge the gap to Middlestat being your two and Rasmus Asplund being your three, all right? And that may be a, a couple more years out. Than the, uh, than the hopes I have for Middlestad. But, you know, Berglund is the perfect fit right now to accomplish that. So I'm not ready to put him in a, in, you know, obviously he's, if he's in your top six, it's only because he's your second center. But what he is, is he is insurance for, you know, for Casey Middlestad right now, who many think is not ready to be a two, although he looked dynamic at the uh at, at the prospect camp from everything that I read on Twitter. But I, I think it's very possible that Berglund's minutes may exceed Middlestat's this year and he may well be, and this will clearly be a a step down from O'Reilly being the bridge to to Middlestat. But you know I, I think if I, if I'm putting a center depth chart out there right now Uh, Just because of Middlestat's age and the fact that Asplund has still got to put the year in, you know, in Rochester. Right now, organizationally, it would go Eichel, Berglund, Middlestat, and then, you know, whoever is the four this year, be it Gergensen, Larson, Malone, you know, whatever. But I I think Berglund has some significance in this deal because I just don't think Middlestat's ready to be your two.
2: We'll see how that plays out. Now, Ryan O'Reilly was not the only big significant trade that the Sabres made over the past week. They also acquired Connor Sherry and Matt Hunwick. Well, Hunwick's not that big of a deal. He's probably going to play in Rochester. But they did pick up Connor Sherry for what essentially will probably end up being a third round draft pick. The kid skated with Sid, Sidney Crosby. He should be a good fit for Eichel. Right I would assume that's going to be his role in the Sabres. He had 18 goals last year, 23 two years ago. Yeah, like I said, the Sabres, you know, they gave up a fourth, a conditional third. It'll probably become a third. But what do you think of that move and potentially him playing with Eichel? And maybe if they don't move Reinhardt to center, a combination of Reinhardt, Sherry, and Eichel on your top line?
1: I don't think anybody um, had a problem with the Connor Sherry move, nor should they. All right. Nice pickup for Eichel. Eichel has lacked a complementary left winger. Um, and I'm going to include Evander Kane in that as good as, you know, uh, moments that, that that they had at times. All right. You know, they both shoot the puck. They both like to shoot the puck, need to shoot the puck and have the puck. And, uh, and I, I just, you know, that didn't work for me sometimes. I didn't think a lot of the time, actually, I didn't think Kane was a great compliment to uh, um, to Eichel. And I think Sherry will be he's got the time in with Sid. He certainly knows how to, uh, how to complement a superstar. And the only concern that I have is that there was that significant drop off last year. And it wasn't just, you know, shots not going in. It wasn't just a, a shooting percentage that went down or something like that. Although I didn't research that. That's just, you know, <laughs> so just You're what my gut check. tells me. No, I'm not fact checking that. But what I do know is that the minutes went down. All right. And the, and if the minutes went down, then they weren't as in love with his play as they were the year prior. He had not only did he have the more, more goals in the year, you know before last, he did it in fewer games. So I, I worry, uh, you know, that last year's conisseary might be more of uh, you know what he it really is at this level, but he has done it with uh, you know with with Crosby. And he'll get every opportunity, I think, to do it with Jack. I think it's a slam dunk that um, he is starting this season on Eichel's left side.
2: Yeah, no question about it. He's going to get that opportunity. If he fails, that's on him. You know, I got to say this too. Bottaro. this is his team now completely. These trades put his stamp on the team big time. You Know what I mean? This is his team now. No more Murray excuses. I don't want to hear it anymore. Carter Hutton, the goaltender, signed with Buffalo early Sunday. Team, very team friendly deal, by the way. Only 2.75 million average for a guy most considered far and away the best free agent goalie on the market. What are your thoughts on him? I mean, goddamn. Worst case, dude. He's got to be an upgrade over Robert Leonard. Robin Leonard, sorry.
1: Perfect compliment to all mark uh is is what uh what I think he represents. You know, he's been a starter in the league. He's been a backup in the league. So he could go either way with it, you know, depending upon, you know, the leap that uh, that Allmark is prepared to take this year. And again, this is not something that I knew until I heard everybody talk about it. But apparently a great guy in the room, polar opposite, quite frankly, you know, to, um, to what, you know, Robin Leonard uh, appears to have been like, in the room, you know, I, we have not much has been made of this yet. Cause it's only been, you know, um, about 90 minutes now, but you know, he, he's got, uh, at least two, maybe a third, uh, St. Louis teammate, you know, joining him now indirectly by way of a trade as opposed to him in free agency. It was, it was the right target all along for, uh, you know, for J bots and, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad it worked out. It was, there was never any real stress over it or anything like that. We liked him. We wanted him. He seemed to be the top guy on the market. You know, we just went and, and made it happen. And you like when something happens that clean.
2: They had to get a quality goalie in the market, whether it was a trade or free agency. I think it's critical that they did that because you can't trust All-Mark at this point. Not after the playoffs last year. Maybe it wasn't all his fault, but bottom line, the kid fell on his face big time in Rochester in the playoffs last year.
1: Oh, it was dead. big that time. Was bad. It was ugly. Was it was
2: bad. And mm-hmm. Hudden's an upgrade over Leonard and Chad Johnson too. So I like to move big time because it, uh, it gives old Mark a chance to slowly grow into what hopefully will be a starting role. But Carter Hutton's going to be the man for sure. At least this year, maybe, maybe more, you know, sometimes guys, his age, he's in his early thirties. They play really well into their mid thirties they he might still be ascending. You know what I mean? He had his best year last year. So I think he's 31 years old now. So, well, that remains to be seen. One more thing here about the Savers. And by the way, we'll save talking about, there's so much going on. We're going to save talking about Rasmus Dalin for another time. We could have a whole segment just on that kid, especially after developmental camp this weekend. Holy shit, was he on fire. He looked incredible. But again, we'll talk about that another time. One more Sabers thing. And then we're going to move on. I want to get to a couple other things before we get out of here. And this is probably the most optimistic thing that Buffalo Sabres fans can look forward to. And that's the age on a lot of these good young players. Jack Eichel, 21 years old. Darlene's only 18. stats only 19. The, the, the guy they just acquired, Thompson, he's just 20. You know, Sam Reinhart's only 22. Brendan Gooley's only 20. Risto, who it almost is like he's old. Dude's only twenty three years old. You know what I mean? Rodriguez twenty four. Uh, Asplin's only twenty. Morgan, who they just signed, you know, twenty one. Olufsen twenty two. They got Pilot twenty two. This team is loaded, loaded with good young players. So if you're a Sabres fan, you know, I I told you this several times last year. I checked out mentally, physically. I completely checked out on this team last year the additions that they've made and especially drafting and Darlene, which again, we'll get into him on another uh, segment of Pat with Pucks. This is a team. I think that fans could circle back around now and really get excited about if nothing else, just because of the youth.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm already picturing you getting into, you know, the Darlene topic with, uh, uh with, with the unathletic there.
2: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll say that for you. So you can give me a good 20 minute rambling on that. Real quick, the Sabers obviously aren't the only newsmakers, although that's what we've talked about. What about John Tavares to the Leafs? Your quick thought? I mean, that's obviously the Sabers' biggest rival. There, seven years, seventy-seven million. John Tavares is now a Toronto Maple Leaf.
1: Yeah, straight powerhouse shit. I mean, you know, it's, it's depressing for Sabers fans, no doubt. But I, 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 I'm down with it, man. I mean, let the Leafs be the. Uh, you know, be the giant and let the Sabers try to you know slay the giant. I'm I'm cool with, uh, be, and because I think they did it quote unquote right. I think they they tanked the right way, they lost the right way, they you know they got the right coach and 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 I think they deserve what they're getting right now. And quite frankly, I'm okay with having to uh, to chase them down because we'll have our day. And that shit will be super
2: fun. (laughs) I agree. I I hate the Islanders losing their best player like that, but good for Toronto. Who cares about uh, that? Who cares
1: about who's on the Islanders?
2: I don't like to see a player, you know, a franchise guy leave like that, but shit happens. It's a business and it's sports. It's just the way it goes. The guy kid grew up in Toronto. He always wanted to be a Leaf. So good for him. I want Toronto to be good because I love when the Sabres and the Leafs are both good. It's been forever since they've both been good, but it's a fun rivalry, so fuck it, man. I want I want him to be good, so I'm glad he went there. Now let's talk about the NBA, dude. Again, we started taping, you know, around nine o'clock on Sunday night. Shortly before that, news breaks: LeBron James is now an LA Laker. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I hate it. Why? Because I Why? because because I can't stand. The the ball father,
2: all right, and this he ain't is gonna just, be there, so don't worry about this him. Is,
1: this, well, who? You, what do you mean? Are they gonna trade the son? Yeah, he's gonna. That dude yeah? ain't
2: fucking playing on the Lakers this year. I'll tell you that right now.
1: All right, well, I'll feel better. Like, look, if he goes, I'll feel better about it. I don't want to see that dude's mug. All right, plain and simple. I don't like him. All right, I think he's everything that's wrong about parents and sports and and whatnot, even though I think it became kind of sticky, kind of funny and people got a little, like, probably too uh, offended by it. But it's still goofy and I just, I don't like it in my sports. I I wasn't a fan of any storyline with him, uh, to do with him. And quite frankly, I want to cheer for LeBron. I want to like the team that he goes to and his supporting cast. And there's going to have to be some uh, a little bit of a makeover there will be uh, yeah. in Tinseltown there for me to get behind LeBron being there.
2: We're we're taping this on again for the fifth time. We're taping this Sunday night, so who knows what's going to happen over the coming days? But whether it's whether it's Leonard getting traded there or Boogie Cousins signing there, they're not done. LeBron, if LeBron, I'm not surprised he went to the Lakers. And for the record, I'm pumped that he went to the Lakers. I want the Lakers to be great. Again, I like those rivalries. I want Boston to be good in the East. I love that shit.
1: Yo, Boogie is a freaking fantasy stud.
2: (laughs) Yo, Boogie fills all the stats, man. This isn't about about fantasy, man. But anyway, the Lakers aren't done. And for LeBron to sign on day one of free agency, that tells me that he knows something's coming. He could have easily, I mean... Our team's going to not want him if he doesn't sign on the first day. we the Lakers going to not want him if he decided to wait to Tuesday and Wednesday. He must have got some type of assurance that someone else is coming, whether it's a trade or whether it's another free agency And I don't think he was signing there on July 1st without some type of insurance that they ain't done. And it ain't going to be like I told you, man. Ball is not going to be there this year. It's just not going to be. I, I, I bet you anything you want to bet right now that Ball's not a Laker this coming season.
1: I'm going to fucking wear a Boogie Cousins jersey to your kid's football game, all right, when I come down to Florida. I just want you to know that that's what I've decided to do, all right?
2: LeBron to the Lakers was not a surprise, but Paul George going back to OKC, that kind of was a surprise. We've been hearing for over a year now that it was going to be LeBron and George going to the Lakers. Are you a little bit surprised that he went back to OKC? You like that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's cool. I just, you know, I, if I'm with OKC, I'm just bailing out because I don't want to play with Mello. You know, I don't, I, I don't ever want to be on a team with Mello. And you know, between the salary and the diminished skills, um, he, you know, he really, he really handcuffs a team. Well, um, yeah. But I love, you know, I mean, I love, I love Russ. I, I, want a team that Russ is on, you know, to be relevant. And if, if, if Paul George you know, keeps them in the conversation in the West, then great. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm cool with it. Well, he,
2: I'm cool with him liking OKC and going back there. He's comfortable there. He was treated well there. They traded for him a year ago. That part's all cool. But to me, winning ain't number one to him, because OKC ain't winning. They ain't winning. They're not beating Golden State. They're not going to beat the Lakers by the time LeBron's done getting his team together. They're not better than Houston. They ain't winning in the West. So he pretty much said, you know what? These next four years, I'm not going to worry about winning and going to the NBA Finals. It ain't happening in OKC. It's just not going to happen.
1: I, I if they find a sucker, or they you know find a way to buy Anthony out and um and use that salary to you know get one more piece. Uh, you know you've got some complimentary pieces there in the big boy and Stephen Adams. I don't know if Roberson is back this year or not. They had another signing. Um, you know, yesterday that uh, uh, that was at least somewhat newsworthy. They've got to they've got to get value for the money that's currently wrapped up in in Mellow. And I think if that happens, if it's the right piece, if it's the right piece to that, that
2: compliments- Dude, the, I mentioned four teams. The West is loaded, loaded. And I didn't even mention Utah or Denver. Utah and Denver are two good teams. And they're not their afterthoughts in the West. If they were in the East, they probably would be one of the two or three favorites. It's just a loaded, loaded, loaded conference. I might get Minnesota. the NBA I might get the NBA season pass this year just to watch a lot of West Coast basketball.
1: Sure. Minnesota's a good team too, man. Yeah. They're They're a good team too. Yeah, and they got Derek you know.
2: Rose back. <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw that. They'll I get hurt that. before camp. All right. Of course. As we wrap this up, we do this every week. Time for your unpopular opinion. What do you got this week?
1: Uh, I was thinking about this a little bit today when I thought that it it was going to be a possibility that O'Reilly came back. Now we know that that's not the case, but I'm still going to stick with it anyways. I think that Jack Eichel uh, and his immaturity to some extent was still part of the problem in the Sabres room. I would make Marco Scandella my captain as they transition to the younger group uh, in the next couple of years and then, you know, get Jack, uh, get Jack to see uh, around age 22 or 23. I think it's very unlikely, but I, you know, I, it's not unheard of to, you know, to take a true locker room leader who's been through the wars and isn't afraid to, you know, to call people out and stuff like that. And, and me, I, I, you know, I just, I think I want my captain just a little longer in the tooth. And I think, Jack was part of uh the locker room issues. I'm I'm just not there yet, man. I'm not there with him in the and the and the captaincy quite yet.
2: You're high. You're high. Right. There's there's no way Eichel's not the captain this summer. There's <laughs> no way.
1: You. I know. I know that's probably true. I yeah. know that's probably true. Well,
2: congratulations because right. that is definitely going to be an unpopular opinion. I don't know if mine is or not. This might be just my own personal taste. But I saw Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom last night and i thought it sucked i was bored and i think the entire jurassic franchise is overrated including jurassic park going all the way back to 1993 that's just just overrated and boring and corny to me now i don't know if you've watched them and what you think of them but i know they do huge numbers and they're popular but i think jurassic world sucks
1: how far back did you go 93 I mean, did you go all the way to the original
2: yeah 93
1: Yeah, well, you're, you know, that's a a bad take. Maybe not as bad as, you know, making Marcos (laughs) Campella the captain Ah, of the series.
2: Jesus Christ.
1: But, no, no, um, well, I had to come up with something sportsy, you know. Last week was fucking Nutella, so (laughs) I had to think of something sports-related. I agree with you on the last couple installments of the Jurassic series. I think the last two have been way, way, way overrated. But the original, dude... Is an absolute freaking classic. So your take only only half half sucks, you know. For for me, or is half unpopular for me. You got you got half of it right, but you went back a little too far because the original Jurassic Park was a good ass flick, and the second one wasn't terrible either. All
2: right, we're gonna get out of here. Before we do, I want to give a shout out to former New York Met Bobby Vanilla who got one point one nine three million added to his bank account this weekend. And he will every July 1st through the year 2035 because the Mets are idiots. Got anyone you want to give a shout out to?
1: No. Dynamite drop in money. That broadcast school has
2: really paid off. All right. That's a wrap for this episode. Big thank you to Jonathan Jones from Sports Illustrated for being my guest. Really enjoy talking to him. Thanks as always to Tone Pucks as well. Pat with Pucks. Always a good time for me. Coming up on Thursday's show, I have former NFL great, a man who racked up over 100 sacks during a 14-year career. I'm talking about Kevin Carter. I'm also going to have another installment of The Running With Joe, featuring Joe from Buffalo Winds. Guys, if you haven't done so already, I'm imploring you to please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to this show. It's quick. It's easy. It's completely free. New episodes get sent directly to your phone or your computer when you subscribe. Literally don't have to do anything else. I want to get those subscriptions up, so please help me out. And of course, you can also find this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and pretty much everywhere podcasts are heard. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pam Moran Tweets. Have a great week. Stay safe. Talk to you guys again on Thursday. I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about. And again, looking forward to talking to Kevin Carter. Peace out.